Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Psalm chapter 64. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Psalm chapter 64. We're going to read 10 verses. It's the total amount of verses in the psalm. Verse number one. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. And suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil manner, They commune of lame snares privately. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search, both in the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves so that all that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. And the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We ask that you would use it in our lives, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Maybe may be seated. Problems force solutions. Problems force solutions. The problem of pollution gave us the solution of recycling. The problem of dissatisfaction with taxation without representation provided a solution of an American revolution. The problem of not being able to find or sell stuff gave us the solution of Craigslist or eBay. Problems force solutions. And David is, in this psalm, faced with a problem. The problem he is faced with is one that you and I are very familiar with. It's a problem of being attacked by those who are using their words to destroy, not just the the character of David, but using their words to destroy even the very life of David. They're attacking David with their words. Perhaps you this evening are facing a problem, a problem in in your family, a problem in your relationships, a problem at work, maybe a problem with neighbors. Maybe you're new to the Christian faith and you're facing a problem from those who have discovered that you are now new in your faith. And it's, it's a problem to you that there are people who are not as accepting of your new Christian faith. 
Now, all of us face different problems in our lives. The, the real answer is, when you do face a problem, where do you look for the solution? David is facing a problem. You and I face problems. But when you do face a problem, where is it that you run to? Where is it that you look to? How do you try to find a solution to the problem that you have? Perhaps you, like David, are facing a problem in which you are maybe innocent. In fact, David uses the word perfect. That's what he says. He says, they're shooting at this, at me, and I am perfect. Now, David would certainly not attest to perfection in that David has done nothing wrong, but David is using the word perfect as in he is innocent in this situation, that these accusations that have come up about David, the way these people are trying to malign and destroy David, David is not guilty of having done what they are accusing him. Him with their words of doing. So when you are faced with a problem, maybe you are accused of something and you know you are innocent of it, oftentimes our temptation is to run away. The way most people deal with problems is to try to run from the problem. I mean, to try to bury the problem, to try to hide the problem, to try to ignore the problem is even there, to pretend like the elephant is not in the room, right? And yet what we know, we know this from life, we know that that will not fix the problem, normally only exasperates the problem, normally only makes it worse. But what do you do when you face a problem? Well, there's much wisdom for us in this psalm, and David makes this song very clear. Look at verse number one. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. That word prayer is a very interesting word because the word actually is not what we think of when we think of prayer. When we think of prayer, we think of our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we think of prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul, the Lord, to keep. Sometimes when we think of prayer, we think of saying grace before we eat a meal. Something to that nature. But the word prayer here is actually, it's, it's a heavier word than that. David's actually saying, Lord, hear my lament. Or, or actually the word can be translated and is in other places. In fact, translated complaint. David is saying, God, hear my voice. Oh God, in my complaint. With this problem, this opposition that I am facing, I am turning to you and asking you to solve my problems. Very interesting because you get to the end of the psalm and what is what begins as a complaint or a lament uh, because of the problem actually ends with David praising God. So how does David go from lament or complaint or prayer about the problem to praising God because of the solution that he's found in spite of the problem? Well, well four ideas. Number one, notice the believer's trial. Notice the believer's trial. It's verse number two. Down to verse number 6. In fact, it's the bulk of the entire text. Look at with me. Verse number 2. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. So what are they doing? What, what is this secret counsel that the wicked has taken? And what is the insurrection that these workers of iniquity are, are, are leading against David? Well, look at it in verse number 3. Who wet their tongue like a sword. So David's given us a wonderful image about the way that they are using their words to cut at David as if they were wielding or slinging or slashing a sword in David's direction. 
They don't have a physical sword, but they are using their words like a sword. Their tongue is like a sword in that what they are saying about David is cutting toward him. He continues the metaphor, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. So they're firing literal arrows at David, but they are using their words as a way of shooting at David, a way of trying to assassinate him from afar. They're using their words, their, their tongue. It's like a sword, and it's like cutting David. It's, it's inflicting harm. It's, it's wounding. It's hurting. David has these enemies, and they're plotting, they're using their words to, to attack him, to cut him, to shoot at him. David says in verse number four that this is something that's happened suddenly. David is saying that this was a surprise. It, it kind of came out of nowhere. David is shocked that, that these individuals in particular, these, these workers of iniquity, that they have turned their tongues, their swords, their, their words, their arrows, they've turned them on him. It's actually to his surprise. David's saying, verse number five, it's very deliberate. They're encouraging themselves in an evil manner. They're, they're doing this, and then they're bragging about doing it. And they're, they're trying to one-up the other in the stories that they're making up about David. And then verse number six, they're actually proud of it. It's deep in their heart. That's the image. It's deep in their heart that this is happening. And this is what's coming out of the mouth. Man, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Jesus says. These words aren't coming from nowhere. They're coming from somewhere. And where they're coming from, according to David, and where they're coming from, according to Jesus, is they're coming from their very their very hearts. This is something we can learn a lot from because most of the time when we talk about attacks or trials or problems that we face as believers, we don't often face problems of real physical threat. In fact, most of the time when we face or talk about trials or problems or suffering or attack, we're talking about something much like what David is talking about in this psalm. It's not that someone is coming at us with a literal, real, physical sword. It's not that someone is shooting at us with real, physical, fiery arrows, but that they are attacking us with their words. Just, just for a, a, an example of this, anyone ever had something bad said about them? Can I see? Just raise your hand across the room. Not a Baptist hand raise either. Not like that, okay? Like, like real hand raise. Let me see. Anybody had something bad said about them before? Sure. This is what's happening to David. David is not so much facing a physical attack as much as he is facing a verbal attack, which is much more relevant to where you and I sit today. It's not likely that we are actually in physical danger, but it is likely that there are those in or around or even throughout our lives who use their words in a way that attack us, that hurt us, that they are shooting at us with their bitter words. And the whole point of using their words is to wound or inflict or destroy. In fact, David is saying that same thing. David is saying there are words that they are using is deliberate. Look with me at verse number two. Hide me from the secret counsel. Do you see that phrase? Hide me from the secret counsel. This is not something that's just said off cuff. This isn't something that just, it didn't really mean anything. It was said in passing. This was something that was said in a deliberate way. It was secret counsel. You remember what you taught your, your, your son or your daughter when they were little? Maybe you even repeated it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but how does that go? Do you remember? But words will never hurt me. 
It's a good thing to teach our children. It's a good thing to have them memorize that. It helps, us, it helps children not get too upset about something mean that another kid says on the playground. Why? Because kids on the playground say things that they don't mean. And David is not saying that they said this and they didn't mean it. It was said in passing. It was just off the cuff. It was an accidental slip of the tongue. David is saying this was something that was done in secret counsel. This was an intentional, deliberate attack. That they came at David with their words. Solomon talks about the same idea. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life reside in the way that we use our words, the way we say things, the way we in, 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 uh, inflict tone, the, the, the way we compliment or, or cut down, the way we encourage or discourage someone. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when you use your tongue, use your tongue, use your words in a deliberate way. Be very thoughtful about what you say. And like my mom used to always teach us when we were growing up, and if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. This is what's happening here. There's a secret counsel set against David. Notice, it's hide me from, my secret counsel, from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Notice this is deliberate. Notice number th uh, letter B, verse 3, who wet their tongue like a sword and who bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. David is saying their words were deliberate. What they said, they said it on purpose. And what they said was destructive. The words are powerful. The words we use, they wield power. The words are a powerful thing. David doesn't just teach us this. In fact, Solomon teaches us it well, as well. For sake of time, we won't go there. You can read it for homework. But Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 18. Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 18. In fact, if you want to do something really fun, look at Romans chapter number 3. Probably the most famous verse in Romans 3 is Romans 3.23. It's a very important verse. For the wages of sin is death. Okay, we're all sinners, every one of us guilty of having sinned. The very famous verse in Romans chapter 3. And yet go back and read Romans 3 and the build-up to that verse. And notice what Paul is talking about in there. In fact, look at it with me. Go to Romans. Just go to the New Testament. Go to Romans right after uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And you'll see what Paul is, is, what Paul is referencing in this build-up to verse 23. How that we have all sinned. It goes, look at verse number, look at verse number 11. For there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. We all know that. We're, yes, there's nobody who loves God. And yet, notice how this is revealed. There's none that doeth good, verse 12. There's none, not, not, not even one. How is it revealed? Look at verse number 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and with their tongues they have used deceit. And the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They, they run toward destroying someone with their words. How do we know this? Because destruction and misery are in their ways. 
They're the way of peace they've not known. They've not known what it is to have a peaceful conversation. Why? Because their mouth is only full of bitterness. Their mouth is only full of cursing. Their mouth is only full of deceit. Their mouth is only full of lying. Their mouth is only full of poison. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at verse number 19. He's, it's all the same idea. The way we've used our words, the way we've, the, what we've said about other people. Look at verse number 19. That every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may be guilty before God. In what way is all the world guilty before God? In the way they've used their words. David is saying the same thing that Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus, when he's referring to Satan, calls Satan the father of, do you remember? The father of lies. I mean, not the father of evil, not the father of wickedness, not... No, the father of lies. What is a lie? A lie is a way that you've used your words to manipulate or, 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 or twist or pervert the truth. In fact, you can go all the way through the New Testament and you'll see same models of this. It's David, it's Solomon, it's Paul, it's, it's uh, James. And you get to the book of James, the tongue, your words. It, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is set on fire of hell. Think about this. That the way we use our words can be destructive, and when we intentionally use our words to cut, to hurt, to malign, to destroy, that we are actually using our tongue as a way of causing us to sin against God in whose mouths must be stopped. It's funny, we always think of sin as something outside of us. We always think of sin as something that we go and do, and yet over and over in the Bible, what we see is sin is something that resides inside of us. In fact, in the use of our words, it's something that even comes out of us. Well, it's, not the outward, it's not the outward part of a man that defiles the man. It's the inward part of the man that defiles the man. Notice these words are deliberate. These words are destructive. These words come at David with a sense of disbelief. Look at verse number four. They shoot... They, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. He's, he's not claiming perfection. He's not saying I haven't done anything wrong. He, he's simply saying in this situation, the things that they're saying about me, I am innocent. I'm not guilty of doing what they have accused me of doing. Is there, not a, is there not a better chapter as we approach election week? They're saying, making things up, and I have done what they have accused me of doing. It's suddenly, it was out of nowhere, suddenly they do shoot at him, and fear not. What's interesting, we've talked about this over and over, but sometimes there's the superscript of these psalms. The superscript is where, in between, where the psalm is numbered, so Psalm 64, and then verse number one, where the psalm actually be begins. Sometimes you have a superscript, you have, you have an instruction, or you have why this psalm was written, or what the circumstance behind this psalm was, but what you'll notice in the superscript, so in between the 64 and before verse number 1, the superscript is nothing. In fact, all it says is the chief musician in the psalm of David. So in what situation was David maligned by the use of someone else's words? Well, you can name several. 
You could talk about when David was anointed king. He had served in Saul's court. He had slain, the, he had slain Goliath. He, had, uh, he was about to be Saul's commander and chief of his army. And the wicked men in Saul's court begin to speak lies against David. They shoot at David, come after him. After David had done nothing. It could be when Absalom turned on David. And Absalom began hanging around the gate in order to win people to his side. He began to use his words as a way to malign his own father, the king David, and to win people to himself. And that's often the way we use our words, isn't it? We use our words in a way that demeans someone else and makes us look better than what we really were. David is saying, in this, in this situation, I am actually innocent of what this person is accusing me of. Whatever the particulars, whether it was the men in Saul's court or whether it was Absalom, it doesn't really, we don't really know. What we do know is that it comes as a surprise to David. In fact, this is how traps work best, right? Traps work best when no one is looking for them. Notice they have no fear of David. Look at verse number 4. And fear not. Their anonymity leads to a fearlessness. This is, this is what Judas did. When Judas secretly snuck off and then arranged a, a, a meeting that he could deliver Jesus into the hands of those evil and wicked men, that Judas did something in secret that Judas would have never had the courage to do in front of the other disciples. Remember the Last Supper? What you must do, go and do quickly. And Jesus was fully aware of what Judas was about to do, and yet the other disciples were, were not. But Judas did in secret something that he would have never done in the open. And so because of their secrecy, they don't, they don't worry about somebody getting back at them. Because of the secrecy, they don't worry about David retaliating in any way. It's like, it's like a sniper laying fire on David, just, just having laid wait in ambush. And now David has walked right into it. And he's not even expecting it. It's coming from nowhere. It's on him suddenly. There is a fearlessness that is foolish. And this is it. Anonymity gives the the attacker a, a wrong sense of fearlessness. So because their name is not known to other humans, they think that they're in safety. Because we can write something, post something, send something without our name on it, we think that somehow we are not liable for it. But make no mistake, while no other human may know who wrote it, hey, friend, God knows. God knows. Is a foolish fearlessness. Let me maybe speak to this practically for a second. Rumors that are deliberately released, even though we know them to be false. You know, this is a sin. You know, this is wrong. And anytime we spread a rumor about someone else, that is also a sin. When we are guilty of taking something about someone else where we are neither part of the problem or part of the solution, and we spread it to someone who is neither part of the problem nor the solution, then we are just as liable. We should repent of that. 
We should ask God to forgive us for, for that, and we should ask God to keep us from engaging in verbal assassination, even against people that we don't like. Hear me on this point. The end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. Well, he's a bad person, and I'm sorry I have to be the one to say it, but he did some really bad stuff, and let me tell you all about it. No, 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 no. The end never justifies the means. We teach that to our sons and daughters, but do we actually live that? Do we actually practice that ourselves? And do we, specifically, do we practice that with the way we use our words? These enemies attacked David with their words. It was a surprise attack. It was a deliberate attack. It was an attack in which he wasn't simply trying to ruin David, but they were actually trying to destroy David. So David goes all the way to say that these, the way that these men are using their words is actually revealing of the despair that they themselves are in. Look at verse number 6. So they search out the iniquities. Notice, they go, look, they search out, the, they go looking for it. They, they spend all their time on social media looking for it. Oh, no, he didn't. He went there. They spend their time just searching, trying to find something that they can use as a way to manipulate, malign, destroy, and attack that other person over there. People talk about the Bible needing to be relevant. Has it ever been more relevant than this psalm here? Amen, Pastor. Good job. Keep going. Thank you. You're welcome. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Can a fountain bring forth both sweet and bitter water? These are my words. These are the words from God's word. Notice, notice this. What can be worse than actually using your words to disparage or sin against someone else? Or what can be worse than that is using your words to encourage someone else to use their words to sin against someone else. And that's what they're doing in verse number 5. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. Well, let me tell you what I heard. <gasps> really? Well, let me tell you what I heard. If you tell me what you heard, then I'll tell you what I heard. Be you see how it works, don't you? What can be worse than sinning yourself is encouraging other people to, in, to, to join you in your sin. What's worse than you sinning is leading someone else into sin. At least when you sin on your own, it comes down on your own head. At least when you sin on your own, you are liable for the consequences of your sin, which is always death. The wages of sin is always death. It may not just be spiritual death. It could be relational. It could be emotional. It could be material. It could be physical. It could be death of the friendship because of the sin that happened there. But in leading someone else into sin, you become an ambassador of hell. 
You begin recruiting other people into destruction. You begin recruiting them into the consequences of the sin that they are participating with you in. Notice they're congratulating themselves. Way to go. You came up with something great. They search out iniquities and they accomplish a diligent search. By the way, they always do. They always, listen, they always find something. They always do. So not only were they deliberate, but now they're actually proud that they were able to destroy David. They were actually proud of it. It's a spiritual sign when our own sin shocks us. It's also a lack of spiritual health when our own sin no longer shocks us. Their sin no longer shocks them. They have destroyed, maligned, ruined here this innocent, perfect man, and yet they are not shocked by it. They're proud of it. And they've encouraged others to participate in this behavior themselves. And the believer's trial, that's just point number one. We've got to go fast, but don't worry, that's the, that's the biggest point. Look at the believer's prayer. This is verse number one, verse number two. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer, my lament. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. David asked God to do three things. David asked God to hear his prayer. David asked God to help him in his fear. And David asked God to hide him through the trouble. David asked God three things. God, hear my prayer. Help me in fear and hide me from trouble. And then notice how God does this. This is the believer's confidence, number three. So the believer's prayer, God, you take care of this. That's what the believer prays. God, you know the trouble I'm in, you know the, you know the trial I'm facing, so God, you take care of this for me. So notice the believer's confidence, verse number seven, verse number eight. But God shall shoot at them. Don't you love this? David never prays for God to shoot at them. God just does shoot at them. David never goes, God, wipe them out. He doesn't say that, does he? No, but that's what God does. Because that's the character, the nature that our God has. So notice the believer's confidence. This is verse 7, verse 8. But God shall shoot at them with the arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. They shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. They'll be given over to their... The attack that they're so insistent on bringing to David, it'll be turned against them. It will be to their own destruction in the end. Same thing is happening here. Verse number eight. So, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves, and they shall, and all that see them shall flee away. And God in this situation takes sides, doesn't he? God does not always take sides. Sometimes you wonder if he does. God help the Lakers to win. God help the Dodgers to win. Does God really want the Dodgers more, to win more than he wants the Brewers to win? Well, certainly the Brewers. That speaks of alcohol. God's not for that. God does not always take sides. But hear me on this. When God does take a side, he always takes the right side. He always takes the side that is walking in righteousness and he always opposes the side that is walking in injustice or wickedness or evil. God is a God who is committed to justice and God is a God who will stop, will thwart, 
will deter the plan of the wicked. God always turns the tide in the way of the righteous. Psalm is not simply a petty personal problem. It can kind of sound that way, can't it? God, help me. People are saying bad stuff about me. What does this have to do with the Bible? It's not just a petty personal problem. This is a psalm about a man who is facing something that is right and a man that is facing something that is wrong. And when something is wrong, God opposes it. And when something is right, God stands up for it. God stands against evil and God stands for righteousness. This is how we form our understanding of the world. God is concerned with right and wrong on every level of your life. God is concerned with right and wrong as it relates to your spirituality. God is concerned about right and wrong as it relates to your emotions. God is concerned about right and wrong as it relates to your relationships. God is concerned about right and wrong as it relates to anything in your social life. God is concerned about right and wrong, anything related to politics. God is concerned about the rights and the wrongs of every level of your life. The same is true for David. It's not just that God is committed to righteousness. It's God destroys the wicked with their own weapons. He turns them against himself, against themselves. Notice what he says in verse number nine. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. And the righteous shall be glad in the Lord, and they shall trust in him, and the upright in heart shall glory. God is committed to righteousness. God destroys the wicked with their own weapons. God has the final say. Hear me, church. God has the final say. You and I don't have to run around defending everything we've ever done. You and I don't have to run around claiming our own innocence. You and I don't have to run around justifying why or maligning this person or pointing out errors in someone else's choice of living. You and I can have the confidence confidence that David does, that God sees, that God knows, and that God is and will have the final say. God will have the final say. And here's the good news. God's final say is not up for re-election. God's final say does not need confirmation. God has the final say because He alone is creator and king and ruler and judge of all the universe. It should not cause us to look at those who've said hateful things about us and go, na-na-na-boo-boo, God's going to get you. No, it should cause us to take our own eyes and scan and search our own hearts. This is what David will do in a few psalms from now. Search my heart, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting life. David doesn't stand and say, God's going to get you if you ever say something bad about me. David says, God is the judge of the universe and God will judge you and God will judge me. So what should we do? 
but we should search our own hearts. We should make sure that if we have used our words to destroy, malign someone else, we should ask them to forgive us and we should repent of that as sin. We should strive to keep a short account with God. And we should refrain from the need to always go and give revenge or vengeance or justification for why we do or don't. Listen, friend, vengeance belongeth to the Lord. You do not have to repay every evil with evil. God will repay good to those who've done good, and He will repay evil to those who've done evil. Notice this. God does this in a way that everyone who sees it rejoices. Look how it ends. So everybody sees it, verse number 8. They all shall see them, the wicked workers of iniquity, who use their words to attack other people. Everyone sees them, and then what do they do? They run away from them. <laughs> no one wants to be around someone else who only uses their words to put other people down. Why? Because if you'll say bad things about them when they're not here, you'll say bad things about me when I'm not here. Because that's the way it goes. If you'll, if, if you'll slander them, spread rumors about them, do the same against me. I'll do the same against you. If you'll gossip with me about them, then when you're with them, you'll gossip about me. Oh, no, she wouldn't. Oh, yes, she would. Oh, no, she better not. And isn't that the way it normally goes? And yet notice, God deals with them in such a way that everyone who sees it, they flee from them, but also that all men shall fear and declare the work of God. So everyone watches the way that God deals with this individual, then everyone goes, glory to God. <laughs> okay, we do not want to be part of that. So what? So then we should walk in righteousness. Why? Because God always takes the side of the righteous. God always takes the side of the God judges all, God sees all, God knows all. And as the children or believers in God, let us leave that work in God's hands. He will make it all right in the end. He will make it all right in the end. Well, do you know what they're saying about you? God will take care of that. God will take care of that. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this great psalm and how helpful it is to us, even in our own situations today. Father, I pray that we'd be men, women, a church who guards what we say. May we watch our words. May we use our words deliberately, Father, to lead to life, not to lead to death. Father, may we say things that encourage other people, uplift other people, Father, make them look good, make them feel good. Let me not say things that just malign, make, make ourselves look better than what we really are. Keep us from that. Father, keep us from using our words to destroy. Father, help us to realize that the words we use actually flow from the heart we have. And we, we, we actually can't separate ourselves from the words we use because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if it came out of us, it's because that's what, that's what was residing in us. Father, so may in us, not be bitterness, malice, contempt, destruction, death. May, may what be in us, may it be life. 
and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance because these are evidences of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. So may we walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the works of the flesh.